Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. My name is Dylan the Dude. And joining me as always is my wonderful, talented, and trusty co-host. Music Man, sorry. No, sorry about that. We never actually practice this cue, but anyways, welcome to Overwatch Now, your one-stop shop for all things currently happening in the wonderful world of Overwatch for Smooth. both the cat. I know. <laughs> but um yeah, so first let's start off with the uh, pat notes. We missed a lot of things last week because we recorded way too early for all the things to be ramp uh, ramping up. So in case you missed it, there was an experimental card that happened last week that most of what was on that card actually went through to live. So why don't we break it down, Dylan? The anti-CC uh, patch notes here. Uh, this is going to be... You'll, you'll notice that theme, certainly, throughout the uh, entirety of this rundown. But let's start with the one CC that most people honestly kind of didn't have as much of a problem with. Um, and then we'll get to a lot of the more problematic ones as we go along. But the first one labeled here is to everyone's favorite long-range healer, Ana. With a sleep dart duration lowered from 6 seconds to 5 seconds. Now, that at the highest, highest levels of play, um, very much will not have too much of an impact. Um, usually at the very highest levels of play, and music can attest to this as well, that the highest levels of play, uh, teams usually coordinate enough that you don't need 6 seconds. The, uh, the slut target is usually collapsed on and uh, destroyed pretty pretty quickly. However, in your comp games, in your ranked games, some of those random sleep darts won't be nearly as powerful as they once were, uh, or at least that's my analysis of this uh, music. Do you think this is more significant, or do you think it's, it's just going to affect that higher, lower level? What do you think? On ladder, it's going to have more of an impact than on the highest forms of competitive Overwatch. Um, when I first saw this, my initial thought was that it wasn't going to be that impactful of a nerf, of a nerf because people either, on ladder at least, they either sleep for the full duration or some idiot, usually the off tank, like me, um, accidentally tickles the sleeping target, waking them up almost instantly. What I thought would have been a more impactful nerf for this form of CC would be a quicker wake-up time, I guess. No, I guess that, I think, would have more of an impact than lowering the duration of the sleep. So, I don't even think that this nerf was even needed as far as Ana's sleep dart. Well, they did want to tone down CC all across the board here, and they did succeed in that with a few of these next ones. Uh, while Ana's might not have been nearly as significant, uh, Maze certainly is. Now, Maze Endothermic Blaster, the primary fire, the one that freezes, the one that you track and freeze, uh, the freeze stun duration was lowered from 1.5 to 1.3 seconds. And the Blizzard, the ultimate, duration has been lowered from a full 5 seconds to about 4 and a quarter, 4.25 seconds. Both of these changes are going, I mean, it feels like they're trying to nerf Mei into the ground, but they can't quite do it. Maybe this will be the one to do it? Uh, I don't think the Blizzard, I think the Blizzard duration is going to be massive for the fact that there will be uh, much more common ways of counterplay around it, whether than just eating and uh, eating with a D.Va or Sigma, or just kind of quite using a defensive ult in it. I think if it's almost a full second shorter, 
more people will be able to kind of play around natural cover to kind of maybe outplay a blizzard. Uh, that's all theoretical, though. The endothermic blaster, though. Uh, music, give me your opinions on this. I think that's huge. It, it is. Uh, again, I still maintain that the freeze or the time it takes to freeze a character should be in a ratio with the target character's health pool. But that's a story for another topic. As far as the duration, I think that this actually does what Blizzard wanted to do with the whole CC nerf. This will make it so that frozen characters won't stay frozen for too, too long. The whole thing about the Blizzard though is that there's still that combo where the primary fire and Blizzard stack as far as their ability to freeze people because when you use Blizzard and then you and then you uh left mouse click or mouse one a target a target that would be a right trigger for you to uh, Dylan um they normally they normally take like two seconds to free you no know, to freeze which I think is not as big of a pro no, a problem but it's still a significant one no one so I, I don't know there will be this is a much bigger impact to May as opposed to the uh, sleep gardener nerve on Anna and we are seeing less maids on both the ladder in high level competitive play play so these changes to May are causing lower pick rates for for her, which I think is the ultimate goal for the heroes, especially since it, you know, she got buffs to where she can freeze multiple targets, which still is in effect, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair thing to keep. I mean, you don't want, I mean, I'm going to say you don't want to, no, you might want to. Uh, as a developer, as a, as the people that are controlling the game, Blizzard doesn't want to kill Mei completely, because there are people that do enjoy playing Mei, those people are a little bit more masochistic than your average player, but they do like playing Mei, so you can't nerf Mei into the ground uh, to the point where she's unplayable. However, I do think that this definitely does make it a lot harder to get the maximum value out of her, and I think it's, it's overall healthier for tank players, healthier for those diving, flanking DPS characters. Um, overall, I think pound for pound, it's just a good change. Uh, very much like this next one that I uh, <laughs> I find hilarious that uh, good old McCree hmm. has had his stun duration on his flashbang lowered from eight or 0.85 seconds to 0.7 seconds. That to me just means hey, you have to get that one shot headshot um, more just quicker. I mean it's. I don't think this is a make it or break it stun uh, or a nerf uh, either. To me, this is just kind of a quality of life to fit it in with a lot of these other changes we're getting here. This one to me might be uh, tied with Anna's really for uh, most kind of eh, like really not necessary, but uh, it does keep with the theme of you know it doesn't it this change I think exists solely for the reason of making it seem like tanks and may are not just being bullied like i think they did this to try to like even it out across the board to make everyone's cc abilities weaker even if it really ultimately won't matter in a lot of cases with mccree i still maintain that half a second is more than enough for a flashbang dur duration especially for a game like oh, no overwatch where 
Half a second should give no players enough time to mow down a single tar no target that really can't do anything. However, I will say that Tracer players will be having a lot more uh, fun time, I guess, with this nerf. No, with this nerf because as a Tracer play no, player, and I've played quite a bit of tra no, Tracer going up against uh, McCree, and I've even played McCree into tra no, Tracers. So, but um, with this change. It does mean that, like you said, McCree does need to be quicker on the draw when it comes to the um, the flashbang headshot combo, which does give room for Tracer to be able to escape more easily. It's still not a cure guaranteed of that Tracer will get an escape. No, if the McCree is quick enough, then that Tracer is gone no matter what. But then, but then again, for some of the uh, lower tier players. No players like those in platter dot no platter below, it does give a little bit of wiggle room for tracer players going up against McCree. So, as far as a general change, this I don't think this is impactful enough. Enough as far as individual change, this may this kind of forces McCree to be more precise, which you should be precise anyways if you're playing McCree. Yeah, I mean, McCree is very much a, uh, I, I feel like McCree is a character that will still get the same amount of playtime. I don't feel like this will necessarily change why you play McCree. I mean, you do not play McCree solely for a 0.85 second flashbang, and you will not stop playing him because that is a 0.7 flashbang. Um, however, a character that you might need to reevaluate how you play a little bit is uh, the only, uh, or as I like to call him, the only main tank in the game right now. And that'd be Reinhardt. Reinhardt's Earth Shatter. This uh, knockdown duration has been lowered from a full three seconds to two and a half seconds. Music, what do you think of this change? It does make a difference. It, it, it really does. It really does. And like, on paper, it seemed like it would allow people to uh, get up quicker from being Earthshatter, earth but at high level uh, play, you, two and a half seconds is still way too long for, uh, for anybody to, or for any single target to uh, escape from. Plus, at high level competition, most Earthshatters are going to get blocked anyways. So, as much as I want to say that this is an impact for Reinhardt's ultimate ability, it does nothing. Now, it really does Now, I argue, I will argue this with you. I think it's massive because here's, uh, I, I disagree with you wholly on that uh, statement of at higher level play, um, shatters gets, yeah, shatters do get blocked uh, at all levels of play, more at high levels. But, you know, you can't use that as a qualifier because by that logic, you could say every ult in the game uh, can get blocked by, again, CC for a lot of them shields, a lot of them DM, a lot of like, there's a lot of things that can stop these abilities. I don't think you can use that as a reason for saying it doesn't do anything. And for the knockdown duration being lower from three to 2.5 seconds, that is very significant because that means that in a lot of cases, you are not getting the same value uh, out of the shatter as you would before because with this uh, reduced time
time frame, this knockdown being 2.5 seconds instead of 3, that half a second is what could really have taken to, ki to kill a single target. Now, the thing with Reinhardt is that when you, sh when you get a successful shatter, you have two options. You either collapse on those targets and kill them, you know, just win the team fight the way that people think Ryan Shatter's big shatter should do, or you solo shatter targets. And, you know, the most value you can get from a Ryan Shatter, in my opinion, is finding a is speed boosting past uh, the main tank, solo shattering an Ana or a Lucia, like a target that just has those self-sustaining abilities, and kill them quick before they can use them. With Earth Shatter's duration being shortened, a lot of abilities, a lot of resources, can come out and completely negate the Shatter, even if you do do. I mean, granted, you're making them waste those resources, but shoot, a Zarya bubble is now enough to completely save a Lucia or a Tracer, because by the time you burst that bubble down, they will be able to move again. That half a second really does matter because you, just, you have to put in that damage to kill that target, otherwise, whoop-de-doo, you just used an ultimate and got absolutely nothing for it. I actually believe that three seconds was a perfectly fine amount of time. I think you just need to fix the uh, kind of the weird pathing, the weird uh, hitbox detection that Shatter has. That's where I think the nerf should have came in. To me, this is a very, very bad change. Um, granted, do I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be the reason you don't play Reinhardt anymore? No, it's not going to. I mean, you're still going to play Reinhardt because he's the only tank in the game that has a rechargeable, uh, maneuverable shield that has above a thousand HP. So you are still going to play him for the fact he is the main tank of the game. But this, you can't, if you want more people to play main tank, you can't keep making main tanks feel it, feel worse to play. That is my biggest issue with Overwatch right now, and I feel like they do that a lot with Ryan and Arisa in particular. Um, I would say they do it to Winston, but they haven't touched Winston forever because no one plays Winston. But that's because it's not fun to play these characters because of a lot of these changes. I'm still going to play Reinhardt. I'm still going to play Maintang. I'm going to get used to the Shatter duration being shortened. I think it's a bad change, though. I think this is a significantly bad change for the game. And that's the part where I kind of disagree with you as far as why nobody plays Maintang. I personally believe that the biggest reason why nobody wants to play Maintang is because they don't want to be the first to die. Usually the main tank is the one that's the heaviest focus in a team, in a team fight, aside from the flanking DPS trying to annoy the back, back line. But aside from that, usually in an ideal scenario, you want the main tank to die first. No, to die first, which is why there's so much resource put onto the main tank player. But because of that fear, I guess for lack of a better term, that the main tank will be the first to die in most scenarios, nobody wants to play him. Plus, this isn't GOATS anymore, and main tank was fun to play when GOATS, no, when Reinhardt GOATS was the DPS of the team, no, of the team. But that's neither here nor, no, nor there. Why don't we move on to probably my least favorite tank? And he gets buffed. And he gets buffed. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I'm talking about is if you are a Roadhog player, I sincerely believe that you should not be playing tank nor the game of Overwatch. Because my experience with Roadhog players is that you're just a DPS player playing on you know, playing on tank and not willing to learn any of the other tanks. Ned tanks. So yeah, the nerf daddy or not the nerf daddy got the buff that he got is that his ultimate whole hog has the knockback of the knockback function increased by 20% lizard WTF. <laughs> okay, so I think this is actually a really good change um, because whole hog is by and large to me even uh, even up past high noon, even past. Um, really any other ability in the game. I'm trying to think of the other lackluster ones. Whole Hog is the worst ability in the game. It is a lot of damage, but it really only exists because they had no idea of what to give Roadhog for an ultimate. He basically shoots big damage, and he usually gets slept, or booped, or pushed away, and his ultimate usually ends up meaning nothing. Um, because the max damage is also so close to him, um, and the knockback is so great, it doesn't let you get max damage in a lot of cases. Really, the only good use for a whole hog is to break shields. But now, with this change, you actually do get another very good reason to use whole hog, and that is, uh, for creating space, like a tank should do. I believe... Increasing a whole hog's knockback makes him less of a DPS pick and more of a legitimate tank pick. Because the job of a tank is to create space, to make the enemy team use their resources, make the enemy team change their positioning, uh, to basically let your DPS do what they do. If you get kills, hey, that's pretty cool. But your main job as a tank is to create that space. And this is about the most straightforward, simple way of creating space that you can really have. A big BP tank that self-heals and exists there just to exist. And this knockback increase just knocks the players back, knocks the enemies back even further than it would. It doesn't do as much damage again, like I said, but it just legitimately and straightforward creates space. I like this change. I think this makes Roadhog more of a tank and less of a DPS. Um, and I would honestly say this chain, as well as the next nerf, um, I think puts Roadhog in a somewhat viable spot as an off tank. Somewhat. He's still still on the weaker end, but a somewhat viable pick. For me, the only way that I will ever change my mind about Roadhog being a viable off tank is if Blizzard implements the Vape Cloud the mechanic that they put when it was the solo tank triple DPS experimental card. That, I think, gives Roadhog more viability than anything else his kid has to, his kid has to offer. But if I continue on with that, then it'll just be more of an episode of me raging of why does Roadhog exist when he is utter trash as a tank. As a tank character, and the people that play him are also utter trash as tanks. But, yeah. What? But yeah, so... Not what? mincing any words there, are you? 
No, <laughs> no, not pulling back my punches either. But anyways, moving right along. Probably, um, I don't know how to feel about this next change because in a sense, it's a bit of a buff. However, there is a nerf to this change. And I'm, of course, talking about Sigma and with his accretion, which is the giant rock that you throw at people. Two notes have happened with that rock. The first is that the knockdown duration is a flat 0.8 seconds across, across the board, meaning if you get hit with the rock, you're, you're stunned for 0.8 seconds. But the cast time has also been reduced from 0.75 seconds to 0.65 seconds. A tenth of a, se a second lowered. So the cast time, I feel, is above, and the, no, knock and the knockback I'd say it's more of a quality of life change, making this change to Accretion a net buff. Because while before this patch with Accretion, the stun duration actually scaled with the distance that the rock was thrown. Close to tar targets only get like a tenth of a second of stun, and the stun while targets that are further away can go as far as a whole second worth of stun. No worth of stun. But, so having this level of consistency across the board, I think is generally a buff, a buff, but at the same time, it's also a nerf because of the closer tar the targets. What makes this a net buff, in my opinion, is the cast time re reduction. It is quicker to build up the rock, build up the rock to throw at, at people, which I think does help, does help uh, utilize the rock, the rock a lot better, despite the whole consistency. I personally don't believe that this change really affects anything, to be quite honest. Um, I don't think this is a net buff as much as you do. I mean, the 0.1 second is really marginal with Sigma in this case, because it's, I mean, it, I don't think anyone ever said that the cast time for accretion was the worst part of accretion. I've never heard anyone say that they were dissatisfied with the cast time for accretion. And the knockdown duration I think is also very marginal because I don't believe it really solves the issue of what, like it it doesn't answer or negate or change what accretion is used for. So to me, this change is very weird and I would really like to see a further buff or nerf just decide one way Blizzard um, of what to do with Sigma. Because I think Sigma is in a slightly healthier place now, um, being the, I would probably say, second, arguably the second strongest shield tank. I mean, Orisa's barriers are very weak, so Sigma's uh, barrier is does have a lot of uses. I still believe Sigma, though, is a very underpowered hero compared to a lot of his other compatriots, even if he does have a functional use more than other uh, the others do. To me, I don't see any reason why you'd play Sigma over D.Va still at this point, and that's really the big point of contention. If you're gonna play Sigma, you're playing him for double shield, and I don't see double shield surviving past another one or two like massive nerf uh, patches, because I feel like People are going to start complaining about Echo, or people are going to start complaining about um, just how unfun Double Shield is to play in some ways. Especially tank players, because again, main tank players, or just tank players in general, are really the people that 
we need to start making, in my opinion, we need to start making these changes for. Because it's not very fun to play a lot of these tanks uh, in certain compositions. Because it's not that high octane uh, team based action that a lot of people liked in Ghost, liked in Dive, liked in all metas not named Double Sniper. Um, because it was a more interactive game. And I, I don't think this solves any issues with Sigma. I don't think it causes any new problems for him either. I think that it just kind of puts him where he is and doesn't really change anyone's thoughts on Sigma. Except, um, Brussen, stop playing Sigma. You're bad. You're throwing. Go away. Although he can't go away because he's on a team of six, so he can't really do anything. <laughs> Uh, no, but, um, well, I will agree that, um, it is going to, Double Shield is going to be tougher to play with Echo in the lineup, in the lineup now, which kind of transitions smoothly over to the whole competitive aspect for, for, um, Overwatch. So, in our last week, Echo, after being only a week out in the live client, has gotten herself a ban. I think it's because of the uh, Echo Showdown where everybody was kind of forced to play Echo throughout the tournament. But at the same time, the algorithm also checks high-level ladder play as well, and the tier three and tier two, no two scenes to see who is getting what pick, pick rate. Speaking of which, before we continue with this week's hero ban, I would like to say that I want to propose a change to how the Heroes are eligible for no more banning because the current method is heroes uh, are eligible to be banned for the week based on whether or not they have a 10% pick rate at the minimum in high level competitive Overwatch play. Uh, play. And then from there, uh, the more times a hero gets picked, the more likely it is that they're going to get ba uh, banned again, still based on the percentages. like. It's more likely for a hero to, that has a 30% pick rate to get banned than a hero who only has a 12% pick rate, just as an, exa an example. However, I, to counter that, Blizzard says that once a hero becomes unbanned, they are ineligible to be banned again for the second no for a second week in a row. However, I would like to extend that to, or I would like to propose to extend that for. Therefore, heroes are ineligible to be re-banned for two weeks after their last, their last ban. ban. The reason why, it's kind of twofold. The first reason, which I think is the most important one, is that technically the algorithm looks at the last two weeks of pick, of pick rate. And if, you're, and if you ban a hero and then unban them the next week, no, the next week, you only get one week's worth of pick rates, which I don't think it's fair for the hero, especially the two that I'm going to announce late, uh, later. So I think that by extending it by an extra week until they're able to be banned again, you still get that full two weeks of da no data for pick rates. The second... Yes? I was going to say, uh, well, go ahead and finish your, your point, because I do have a comment on that in particular, but maybe it'll be answered by your second point here. That's it. The second reason why I think the ineligibility should be extended by uh, a week 
is because for the third time since Hero Bulls have been introduced, which is not that long ago, I need to remind everybody, we see a band in McCree and Widowmaker as a BBS. Now the other two are, you know, are Hammond and Mercy. Those two are kind of new to this whole Hero Bull as far as since Hero Bull has been unified across all competitive forms of you know, Overwatch. But the fact that McCree and Widowmaker are getting banned effectively every other week, that I think is an issue. Okay, so I'm going to explain to you why I think that the first part of that, the, the whole two-week thing, uh, or it cannot be banned for two weeks after, I believe that is impossible to do health in a healthy way unless the bands last longer. Because here's the thing. If you do that, sadly, that means that tanks are going to be uh, very screwed up um, due to the fact that the only tanks that are going to get banned each are going to be the main tanks. Like, you almost feasibly, you really only have three main tanks that you can really play right now, which are, uh, or like three main tanks in general, Ryan, Winston, and uh, Arisa. If a new tank can't be ba uh, banned for another week, that means you're going to have two unbannable tanks that it's basically going to mean that you're going to have to just, it'll basically go in a circle ban where it's Ryan, Arissa, uh, Winston, Ryan, Arissa, Winston, Ryan, Arissa, Winston, which I don't think is really what the hero uh, bands should set out to accomplish. It shouldn't set out a rotation like that. And for supports as well, it means that you're going to have a rotating support uh, line. You're going to have, it'll be Lucio, Anna, Moira, Lucio, Anna, Moira, maybe Brig in there instead of one of those, but actually more likely Brig in there than one of those. But while I, I believe maybe for DPS, I think you're onto something here. I don't think that's the solution because of the other two roles that would be drastically, drastically affected by that. My proposal is simply do uh, hero bands every two weeks. Just have a hero band last for two weeks instead of one week. That's my solution. Granted, maybe that makes things a little bit more stale at some points, but I, I still think it's healthier to allow that time and also to get the data that you mentioned yes they want to get data from the last two weeks i think that's the best way of doing it but then again i'm also kind of iffy on that as well because there are problems that would bring itself i don't disagree with you though i do think that we do need to do something especially for dps to make sure the same DPS are not getting banned multiple times. The same pair of DPS are not getting banned multiple times over and over and over uh, without good reason. Right. But that's neither here nor there, though. The big thing is for this week is that Echo is available in competitive play and Overwatch League play now. Before we get into our predictions for the week, there are two things I want to jump on. One, we were both wrong last week, dude. <laughs> we had yeah. a lot of games that we thought were like, 
dude, this is going to be super close. It's going to be like 3-2. It's going to be like, oh, man, uh, who wins? Uh, no, tons of blowouts. Uh, holy cow. I mean, we were... Hmm. The, the, in case anybody is listening and is wondering what we're talking about, um, let me put it simple. The, I think the only time where we got a 3-2 for a prediction, just in general, was the game right? of the week. Was the game of the yeah. week. Yeah, the, bat, the battle for Texas, the battle for Lone Star State, which ended up going 3-2 in favor of Dallas, which, Houston, I am disappointed. Poor but, Muma. Poor Muma. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a, Well, yeah, a lot of it is on the back of Muma. But anyways, so... But most of the other matches, I think, except for one... No, other. Let me quickly go back into the schedule for last week. Yeah, for one other match, Hung Zhao Spark versus Shangju Hunters. That was a three. That was a three-one, which I think it was hard to earn by Hung, no Hung Zhao. But at the same time, Shangju has been looking a little bit weak lately. Aside from those two matches, every other match was a three-zero. Okay, I would like to note that this is deceiving. Some of these games were much, much better than these three zeros would uh, would really imply. Like some of, like none of, like there were some of these that were not rolls by any means. Uh, Atlanta Philly, even though that was a three zero, was very close on multiple points. Um, the uh, San Francisco uh, Valiant, again, closer than you would expect. Um, Surprisingly, ones that we thought were going to be closer really weren't. Um, Shanghai versus Seoul was, in my opinion, not really close at all. Seoul just kind of didn't really do as much. I thought maybe, if anything, Seoul was going to put on a better performance. They really didn't. Um, but again, our analysis of these last week, you can go back and listen to last week's episode. But yeah, we predicted a lot of these to be 3 twos or 3 ones. And as we, can, as you can see, it only happened twice when it wasn't a three. Let's see if we can beat that this week, music. Oh yeah! And by the way, I do want to say that I am happy for the New York Excelsior to not go into the way of Vancouver Titans, which we'll, oh. we will be seeing next week. <laughs> yeah, Again. I mean, they did impress me. I did not think they were going to do that well. Uh, granted, their real test is this week. New York really gets to prove if they still have it this week, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, I do believe that last week was a great week of Overwatch in technical application. Like, if you watch the matches, you could learn something from watching a lot of the matches. The scoreline did make it really disappointing, though, and I don't think we're going to get that this week, but uh, I wouldn't have predicted that last week either, so... Yeah, we, go, ahead, go ahead and take us away with the first game of the week. So, on Saturday, May 2nd, at 4 a.m. Eastern Daylight, we have Guangzhou Charge versus Seoul Dynasty. Now, Seoul did not look good against New York last, no, last week. However, New York, I maintain, is a top-tier te team, even better than Seoul by a long shot, so I wasn't surprised there. Uh, there. However, I do want to say that Seoul is going to get this victory. I do think that they are going to bounce back, not in a 3-0, but in a 3-1 against Guangzhou. And it's not going to be a a blowout 3-1. I do think that Guangzhou is going to give Seoul a bit of a fight. 
however, it's only going to be enough to get to get them one map. What that map is, I, at this point, I'm too scared to make a prediction after how wrong we were last week. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go against the grain here. I'm gonna say that uh, Guangzhou, uh, Guangzhou is a team that we are really. I still think we're really underlooking. Like we are very much not acknowledging the potential of this team. Uh, I believe they have a phenomenal support duo. I believe Nero is actually a crazy, crazy DPS player that we just need to see in a meta that allows him to shine. Um, I think they might have a better matchup here against Soul than you think. I'm actually going to say it's going to be a 3-1 in favor of Guangzhou. I think, I think Guangzhou is a practice enough team that also is kind of dug in the trenches i think they are just i think their losses last week probably shocked them less than soul's losses did and i i don't believe this is gonna be a wash i believe it's gonna be a very competitive game i'm leaning towards Guangzhou though because i do have faith in their just in the team in general i do think that the the tank line of Guangzhou was the weakest link so if you can beef up your tank line, if they can practice harder and just be uh, a little more conscious of the enemy supports, because I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of the main tanks of Guangzhou or uh, the, the the tank duos of Guangzhou get outplayed by an Ana nade or uh, a Brigitte stun, like just at really weird moments. If they can be more aware. I think Guangzhou could be a playoff team, but we're going to have to see how they do against Seoul this week. And, and even then, it's like last week, Guangzhou did have a little bit of a setback with ha not. I don't know if it's a full release because uh, one of the support players for Guangzhou, Neptuno, recently had trouble with keeping his visa in the Republic of Korea. So by that, he was actually sent home to his uh, homeland of Spain, of Spain, which meant that he could not play for the remainder of the season for Guangzhou. Now, whether or not that means that they released Neptuno's con uh, contract, I don't know. I can't say for certain, but I know that we won't be seeing him. So last week, I will, I will say that um, there was a little bit of a setback with the loss of Neptuno, but I don't think it's enough to keep them down. And likewise, I do think that you know, Guangzhou is going to have that capability to bounce back, back from that loss, from their loss of Neptuno. But again, I just don't think it's going to be enough to take more than one map out, out of Seoul. But like last week, we could be entirely wrong. I'm still maintaining it's going to be a 3-1 in favor of Seoul Dynasty. It, it will definitely be interesting to see how this shakes up. And what will also be interesting to see how it shakes up is the true test of character, the true test of the NYXL. At yep. 6 a.m. on Saturday, May 2nd, we have the New York XL taking on what many people consider to be the best team in the Overwatch League today, the Shanghai Dragons. Oh my god, if I would have said that in Season 1. Um, <laughs> so this is actually going to be a really hype match. Um, I think these two teams are top five. I think these teams might even be top three. They are both really, really good and have impressed me a lot lately. 
Um, New York, I'm still a little questioning because of their ease of schedule last week, I think. It's just... I think New York is still a solid team. I just want to see more, and this is going to be the more I want to see. So with with Echo in play and a lot of kind of marginal heroes um, banned with Wrecking Ball and Mercy, who are admittedly not the most commonly played characters in Overwatch League, um, I'm expecting to see a lot of clean play. I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot of Soldier. I'm expecting to see a lot of Tracer. Um, I think these are heroes that... Shanghai and New York have star players that fill. So, to me, this really comes down to Prophet versus Libero, or Prophet versus Sabiolbi, or uh, just really the DPS versus the DPS. Um, I think both teams have great tanks. I think both teams have great supports. I think both teams have great DPS. I think the DPS is going to be the one that really does change this, the outcome of this matchup, though. Um, and to me, I'm actually going to give it to the Shanghai Dragons. I think the Shanghai Dragons are going to win this one 3-2. Uh, I think this one's going to be a much, much more intense game. And, I, and of course, we thought last week, hey, more games would go 3-2. Uh, this is the, out of the, there are two games this week that I think have the potential of going 3-2. And this is one of them. I'm calling a 3-2 on the side of Shanghai. I'm going to call the, the same thing, but only, like, begrudgingly, kind of. Because, on the one hand, both of these teams for with New York and Shanghai, both of them have had many, many strong showings in their previous ma matches, with New York fall falling to a one, probably one stronger team, but they haven't lost since. And the same goes with with Shanghai, but at the same time, I'm going to be saying that it's 3-2 in favor of Shanghai because I'm still seeing this matchup in particular back in Season 1 of Overwatch League with, with New York at the time being the best team in the entire se season and Shanghai being the worst team in the entire, entire season. And as much as I want to say that New York is going to win this, because I live in the New England, New England area, I'm not rooting for Boston, so I'm obviously going to root for, root, for, root for New York, words come to me. I still want to see Shanghai come out with the win here. They've been looking so strong this season, and I will even, I will even say that Shanghai has the capability of being a top three team. team. So. I really want Shanghai to uh, to win this, and if it is a Shanghai win, it's going to be a three, a three-two there. Now, I don't believe New York is uh, bad, and I don't think New York is going to make this easy for them. However, I do believe that if you're looking at DPS duos in the Overwatch League, I think uh, Sabioli and Who Are You, or not Sabioli, uh, Sabioli and Who Are You, both with Libero are some of the strongest DPS duos that you can field in this, um, in the entire league. That being said, I think you could say the same thing about one of the teams in this next game. On Saturday, May 2nd at 3 p.m., we are going to get the Dallas Fuel versus the Washington Justice in a game that I am 
heartily expecting to go uh, way more in the way of Dallas. Uh, I believe Dallas has the strongest, if not, you know, top three, two strongest um, DPS duo in the league. I, I firmly do believe in Decay and Doa. And to be honest, I've not been impressed by Washington as of late. I know they have a lot of potential. And I know they have a lot of talent in that team, especially in the support line. But I think this is just a case of Dallas outclassing Washington in more areas than Washington could potentially outclass Dallas. I'm calling this a 3-0 for Dallas, but I want Washington to do a little bit better. I do really like the squad. I will admit that Washington has been looking a little lot, not a little, a lot of lackluster over the recent time, no, times, and I honestly have to pin it to just the tank synergy with Washington, because with Tuba in the lineup, Washington does look stronger. However, I still think that the weakest links in Washington is with Roar and Elephant, and I'm not saying that is either of them fault or either of them are bad players. Both of them are good players, but there's just something about them that's just not clicking. And because of that, I do think that Dallas is going to come out with the win. Here they have the stronger tank synergy, they have the stronger DPS synergy, and even the stronger support synergy. Not to say that no, Ark and Aim God are bad, no, are bad at support, or are terrible support duos are the only support duo for Washington. But it's more of like, Dallas just seems stronger in any scenario that you can pin them up against. However, Tuba being in instead of Stratus does give me a little bit of, of hope. Not a lot, just a little. So I do expect this to be closer than anybody would imagine. I think that it's going to be 3-1 in, in favor of da not Dallas here. Not here. I do think that Washington is going to win the payload map, not map but that's... That's about it. The other maps are probably going to be closed, except for maybe the uh, hybrid map. Map, I think that one's going to be more of a blowout for uh, Dallas. But the 2CP and the control map, I think both of them are going to be uh, clo closed and could go either way. However, it all comes down to the payload map for me. If Washington can beat uh, can beat um, Dallas in the payload map, then. It's a 3-1 victory for Dallas. If not, then you're right, and it's 3-0. Well, you say that your prediction is a 3-1, and that's actually my prediction for the next matchup in favor of the Atlanta Reign. It is the Los Angeles Valiant versus the Atlanta Reign at 5 p.m. I do like both these teams. I do like Atlanta a lot more. I think Atlanta has a much higher skill ceiling, and I believe that... Very potentially, Atlanta is... Atlanta could definitely be a Grand Finals team. Uh, they are have the potential. I can't say the same about the Valiant. They're good, don't get me wrong. But I don't think I can say the same about the Valiant, or with as much confidence as I can with Atlanta. 3-1 for Atlanta. I don't know. <laughs> it, this is another funny mo moment, because you say 3-0 Dallas Fuel against Washington. I'm saying 3-0 Atlanta Reign against Valiant, because... How I've been seeing Valiant perform, they're good players. Don't get me, no, don't get me wrong. Something about them is just—it's throwing me off a little, no, a little bit. Because Atlanta 
they have everything down to a T when it comes to their performance on any of the maps. Like, if anything, I do think that um, Baby Bay may uh, BM them a little bit by going toward one trick this ma this matchup. But aside from that, aside from that, I just don't see any way how um, Valiant can even take a map off of Atlanta, Atlanta with how they've been performing recently. So I will give the 3-0 over to Atla Atlanta for this ma matchup. And ugh, I'm looking at the next matchup, which we'll get to in a moment. Actually, I'll just announce the next matchup now. Right now, it is going to be the Houston Outlaws versus the San Francisco Shock. Now, before we get into our prediction, there is an elephant that I would like to address. And that is that one of San Francisco's star player, Sinatra, season 2's MVP of the winning of, of the best team in the Overwatch League 2019 se season, has stepped out of the team, out of the Overwatch scene, and moved over to playing Va Valorant professionally. A lot of people are taking this as, oh, this means that Overwatch League is dead, Overwatch, no, Overwatch as a game is dead, is dead. I think you're, to quote a famous Swedish per person, you're making a chicken out of a feather. We do have more star players than just Sinatra. Jonak is the, is the season one MVP of the league. League and he's still playing for the New York XL. We still have many, many other talented veterans, talented rookies in the league. So I do not think the, that the Overwatch scene is dead just because Sinatra left. I do think though, though that Sinatra leaving is going to have a bigger impact to the scene entirely. Uh, I, I do not agree. I think. I, very first off, I really would like to wish uh, Sinatra on his future endeavors. Um, I am really excited to see what he brings to the, as a personality and as a player, what he brings to the legending uh, Valorant scene. I'm very intrigued to see what happens there. But I don't think this is really going to be a mass exodus. I don't think this is going to be a really strong... Uh, I don't think this is going to change things much at all. I mean... San Francisco is already playing uh, many of their other star DPS players, which they have several. They have probably one of the most loaded DPS uh, uh, rosters in the Overwatch League. And I don't see anyone else looking at that and going, huh, Sinatra's leaving for Valorant. Yeah, I want to fight Sinatra and Valorant. Yeah, I'm going to quit Overwatch. No, no one's going to do that. Hell, people are just going to sit here and be like, man, my job got a little bit easier, but still it's a strong squad. Um, I... I do believe that this is great for everybody. I think this is great for Valorant. They have a, a recognizable name uh, not in Counter-Strike uh, that's, you know, doing their thing, you know, that is uh, being a part of this new fledgling esports scene. And I think it's good for Overwatch uh, League because that's another spot for a Contenders player. That's another spot for uh, just new other pro players. I don't think this signifies the death of Overwatch like many people think. Uh, honestly, I think it's literally just, hey, this guy wanted to play a different game and he wasn't being played a ton on his Overwatch team. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, that being said, though, um, I am calling this a... Uh, can I do any more than a 
uh, a three negative one, uh, a three negative two. Um, San Francisco, it's very hard to see a situation where Houston beats San Francisco here. Um, the only way that Houston would beat San Francisco here, potentially, was if Reinhardt and Lucio were bad. They are not, so this is very much going the way of San Francisco. For me, it depends on who is in the lineup for Houston. Like, obviously, we're going to see Muma in the lineup for Houston because he's the only main tank player for the team. And I do think that he's learned a very valuable lesson against Dallas last week. So I do think, so I do expect him to uh, perform significantly better in most oh, of the Oh, dude, no. Dude, no. People are, people are looking at Muma and yeah. they're like, hey, Muma, you do that again, and Rockus is taking your main, uh, main tank spot. Uh, oh boy, but um, but um, yeah. Another another scenario that I think also contributed to uh, the Outlaws' loss last last week with was with the coordination between Dante and Blase. Now, don't get me wrong; both of them are phenomenal play players on their strongest heroes that we've seen them play in Doomfist and in Sabra. And in Sabra. However, there have been moments that I've noticed that. Either of them really have kind of just been doing their own thing, which is not really what you need to do. To do. Most of the time, it works out, but when it doesn't, that's when it hits the hardest. So, you know, so yeah, um, I don't think it's going to be a 3 0. I don't think it's going to be a 3 negative 1. I don't even think it's going to be a 3 negative 2. I think, and I'm seriously hoping that I'm right with this, it is going to be a 3 1 in favor of San Francisco shock here. I wanted, I really wanted to be a 3-2. I want Houston to go to this distance. But like you said, it's very difficult against the San Francisco lineup. Because in case you missed it last week, Dylan gave us a couple of conditions for a San Francisco win. One, the first condition is, is Reinhardt eligible to be played? If yes, they put in super. And two, if, is Lucio eligible to be played? If yeah, if yes, then Lucio will be play, played. Three, and the third condition: if both of them are played, yeah, then San Francisco wins. <laughs> That's the formula. And that literally is it. Yes, line of striker, Ons, Rascal, and Architect. Um, although I guess I could also say Architect is a goddamn support player. Um, we haven't seen a lot of Architect on support. They've, they've mainly been playing Violet and Moth more, no, more often, which kind of led to but me uh, dropping with, them in uh, the <laughs> fledgling, um I'm using fledgling a lot, but I do enjoy that word. Fledgling, uh, Echo meta. Who knows? We might see Architect shine on that hero uh, if he is the one that will play that hero. We actually do not know much about who is playing uh, Echo on each of these teams. But... In that regard, we have a few more games left uh, here to analyze. I don't think a few of these are going to take that long to analyze. Um, the next game, Sunday morning at 4 a.m. Um, on May the 3rd, is Soul Dynasty versus Hangzhou Spark. And I am a personal... I personally believe the Hangzhou Spark are the second weakest... Uh, third weakest team. Third weakest team in their division. Um... And I find Soul as one of the top three in their division. So I'm gonna go for a Soul 
here, I don't think this is going to be a terribly exciting game. Uh, I think Hong Zhao might pull something out, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Maybe 3-1. Uh, at absolute worst, I'm still calling a 3-0 in favor of the Soul Dynasty. Well, the good news is that with this park, they do have Rhea back in the lineup. So, and Rhea in their last game really hasn't been throwing that not that much, which is good for the team. However, it's looking to be not enough. Like personally, from what I've seen of the spark. Whether you put in Rhea in the off-tank or you put in Sansen for the off-tank, I don't think it made that much of a difference. So, likewise, I will I will concede to this being a Rio in favor of Soul and not a very exciting one now either. Soul is just too strong of a team. And similarly, after that, at 6am on, sun no, on Sunday, it's New York versus Chengdu. Again, New York is just too strong of a team. I think that I have to agree as much as I do Shang like Chengdu. Um, Chengdu needs to figure out who they want to play. They have a roster of very talented Chinese players, but they just don't know who they want to play when and why. Um, to me, I feel like uh, a Tang is not the ideal main tank for them. Um, I do feel like a Meng is the stronger one, and that's evidenced by last week when. The only map that they won in their map in their three-one uh, game was with the Mang in. I think with Ball out of rotation, I still think a Mang is the choice with his Orisa, but I don't know if that's really going to be enough for them. I am calling this a three-zero in the favor of New York XL, um, very begrudgingly. But one game that will most certainly not be a three-zero. In fact. I am predicting to be the second 3-2 game of the week is going to be the next game happening at 3 p.m. on Sunday, May the 3rd. The Philadelphia Fusion taking on their longtime rivals at this point, the Paris Eternal. And I think this is going to be, very similarly, a 3-2, and I'm going to give this one uh, to Paris. I think Philadelphia and Paris are also top 5 or top 7 teams if you want to put Paris a little bit lower but I do really like Paris and by the end of the month Paris will have their star crowning player Sparkle in the lineup or eligible to be in the lineup as he's turning 18 in the month of May but right now I still think Soon, is, uh, Soon and Nico are enough I think Paris has a great support line with FD God and uh, uh, great. I think they're both absolutely um, great, talented support players. They're going to have their work cut out for them with uh, Chipsa's Echo, from what I hear. Um, you know, Chipsa being the quote-unquote Echo player for the Philadelphia Fusion. Um, I do think with Echo, though, I think we are going to get some... If there's any teams that I expect to play Echo, it's the Philadelphia Fusion or the Paris Eternal. Or Atlanta, but those are the three teams I'm expecting to see some Echo play from. 3-2 on the side of Paris Eternal. I think it's going to be a 3-2 on the side of Philadelphia, but again, it also depends on who's playing the Echo, because a lot of people are saying that this is going to be Chipsa's big break, he's going to be the Echo player for, you know, for Fusions, and I'm just like... That's a little bit of a stretch because, in my opinion, Chipsa is a good play no, player. I do not see a reason 
why he shouldn't be on the roster. However, that being said, the DTS lineup on the Philadelphia Fusion roster are all excellent players. Some, I would even argue, that are even better than than Chipsa, but I don't see it as reasons to, to drop Chipsa. If we do see him, then congrats Chipsa, you made your debut on, uh, on the Overwatch virtual stage. How, however, so with the whole, um, whatchamacallit, with the whole situation with Philadelphia, I don't see Chipsa getting a lot of play. Oh, absolutely. He if he does, if he does, congrats. No, congrats. If not, then I, I just don't know. Philadelphia, however, is a strong team with or without Chip, no, Chipsa. But this will be one of those uh, matches to watch. I would say even on the same level as the Battle for Texas or even the Battle for LA ma matches because these two kind of have a score to settle, I believe. Absolutely. I mean, it's a very intense uh, rivalry that these teams have come up with. And some of the best games in the Overwatch League this year have been with these two teams. I'm excited. Regardless of the outcome, I'm very psyched to see what these guys bring, uh, bring out of each other. And I can't say that about the next game. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be another three zero to the Florida May Mayhem against Boston uh, no, Uprising. Moving yeah, no, that now. game is a three zero for the Florida Mayhem. No different than last week. Boston is the uh, Boston's twenty twenty roster, and their performances is the arguably, and I would side with it, the worst roster in Overwatch history. It's just it's it's not working, Chief. Boston, you need needs to do something. What? But put me in, coach. I got you. But yeah, no, it's. I want Boston to do better. I really do. Colorhex and Jerry are both phenomenal DPS players. Fusion is a phenomenal main the main tank. And Yu Jae Hong is a phenomenal support lineup. Halo, yeah, he's getting his beat whip, but he's still a good support. No, but he's still a good support player. Russin. Uh, sorry, I I, uh, I zoned out. Did you say anyone on Boston was good? Um, <laughs> because at this point, um, I think Jerry is overrated. Um, I think Color Hex is underrated, but can't really perform. Um, I think Fusions is much better at some things than others, and the things he's being forced to play are not things he's good at. I think Brusson is very much a weak link. I think Halo is very much a weak link. And, uh, uh Mumbong's there, I guess. Uh, like I said, I want Boston to do, you know, to do good. I, I'm even will, I'm even willing, if, if I ever get the chance to meet any of the staff, if they decide to open up the, the homesteads ne next year, because we already know they're not going to do that this year. Or they did it for the beginning, but then COVID happened, and since then all of the matches are online from here till the end of the season. But if if we do go to a Boston, if no homestand, and I have the opportunity to meet no meet with one of the uh, staff the staff there, I I would even like volunteer no, volunteer myself, or at least try to like slide into their DMs, I guess. To have an opportunity to try out as a 
Tsunade as their off tank. Like, I know that Rosin is a good off tank player to some people's eyes, including some of our team teammates over at um, our competitive team of option 3. But it's like, I'm, I'm just, I just don't see it. Like, a lot of the plays that Brussin does, I think I can do be better despite being a lower rank than he is. But then again, rank is not everything in Overwatch. So, Music, I, I, I would so, like to note how you said, hey, Boston, let me slide into your DMs because that is what got two of um, <clears throat> Boston's players removed from the world of professional Overwatch. <laughs> okay, that... That is a figure of speech. I know where you're getting at. I am not that kind of guy. You know this. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, no. It's one of those words. Words like I would like to try to help Boston as much as much as I can because I want to see them win. No win. And at that point, I wouldn't even care if I get signed on to the worst team in the Overwatch. No, Watch League. Because at that point, it's like I'm just trying to help a bad team be good with the best of my ability. I, I don't care how much hours I need to put. Put in, I'll gladly put in the hours. But that's enough about this matchup. Let's move on to the final matchup of the week with Toronto Defiant versus the Los Angeles Gladiators. This, I think, is going to be another one of the uh, close matchup. Not necessarily a matchup to watch, but it's still going to be close regardless. I'm giving this a 3 2 vi victory to the Gladiators. I'm not going to say whether or not it's going to be close because I think that there will be maps where either team are just going to completely shut their opponents out for the map. Uh, I I want Toronto to be good. They have choked a lot. They have made it very hard to see the bright spots in their li uh, lineup, which there are several. I do believe, though, LA, the LA Gladiators are as well a top seven team, and I think they are going to easily take this as much as I would hate to admit it. I'm going to say best case scenario with 3-1 for Los Angeles. It's it's really sad uh, seeing Toronto struggle like they have, especially with some of my favorite players like uh, uh, Nevix, um, Surefour, and uh, Logix all in the lineup. But it's really hard to bet against that that bird ring mirror uh, just lineup that the, the gladiators have. It's it's really hard to bet against it. I mean, my saving grace here for Toronto is in uh, Kariv. I think Kariv has been putting in numbers for the team at the best that he, he could, even if the team does look like they're struggling. And I know for a fact that he's been giving me numbers in the fantasy league. So that's why I want to say it's a 3-2 for the Gladiators. Because even though Kareev, Nevix, Logix, or even though all of them are fantastic players for the Gladiators, OG, Space... Space, um, the best off-tank in Overwatch history, and I will die on that statement. Yeah, I just think that those four players in the Los Angeles Gladiators lineup are just too good in this matchup. Like, they may struggle against teams like San Francisco, like the, you know, Philadelphia, but they are still a strong lineup regardless. So, I am going to edge this out to the Los Angeles Gladiators. 
I don't think it's going to be a 3-1. I think it is going to be a 3-2. How? Because I do believe that Toronto is still a good team. Net team, despite the amount of setbacks that they had had in set in set matches. But yeah, yeah, that pretty much covers all of the uh, Overwatch matches for this week. We do have the schedule available for the next two uh, two weeks. We'll get to those when uh, those episodes air. Absolutely, and I think that's a good way to leave us here uh, today on Overwatch Now. I am Dylan the Dude, and with me is my co-host. You're forgetting. What am I forgetting? In the PTR, as of right now, there are a couple of changes that we should be expecting in Overwatch in the near future. The first one is the communication wheel. So what Blizzard decided to do is they decided to give us more voice lines Ooh. other than just hello, my ultimate char charging, thanks, understood, group up with me. We now actually have a sorry, sorry voice sorry, line too. Sorry, sorry. The, the, more than the May voice line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's something to look forward to that's currently in the PTR. And another thing that I think is the most important change that Blizzard could do in the entirety of their Overwatch um, development years, I guess? They, in the spawn room, they have set up a oh, basketball geez. with a hoop that people that people decide and decide, you know what, let's see if I can ma make it. And they punch the ball, some of them make the hoop, some of them don't, but if they do, confetti, explosions, yay, congrats, you did it. But now, they add a reset button for that. This, these are the changes that Overwatch needed. These are, <laughs> these are the major wheel changes and that everyone said needs to save Overwatch. <laughs> and with that, that is going to be it for Overwatch now. I am Music Man, and with me is my ever so forgetful but lovable co-host, Dylan the Dude. Wait, where am I? Anyway, you are on. <laughs> you are listening to Overwatch now. Your one-stop shop for everything Overwatch in the current day. Don't forget, we have Dude Media to thank for producing us here and putting us on Podbean, where you can find us. Uh, Dude Media, another uh, show that is on there, is Breaking the Lore, featuring good friends of ours, uh, Sarah and Nissa. Give them a shout out if you can. Give them a shot on either the Dude Media Podbean or at their YouTube channel on Breaking the Lore. We will see you next week for another edition of Overwatch Now. Until then, stay frosty. So long, farewell, Avijuzane, adieu. Goodbye. <laughs>